want you to listen. Then what? Share it. The Melbourne Youth and Social Workers Group and the Knowledge on Tick podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Boonarong and Wurundjeri people, their elders past and present. We would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the land, her children and our families. We would like all of us to show respect for each other, Mother Nature and the creatures on the land and the sea. Hey everyone, the Melbourne Youth and Social Work Facebook group would like to welcome you to the Knowledge on Tick podcast. We are Josh and Nat and we will be your co-hosts for the potty. Knowledge on Tick is a podcast offering real-life conversations and insights every week with workers in the field covering a range of topics surrounding the youth and social work world. We are so grateful to have you here and happy listening. Welcome back to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. You'll hear through the episode that Nat and I travelled down to Torquay to record this episode of the podcast. We'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of that land, the Wadwarong people. In a few weeks, we're going to be joined by Rick Boland, who is the founder of the Money Youth Project. But before we are joined by him, I want to give you guys a little bit of information about his program, and then we can chat a little bit more about it in a few weeks. Basically, the Money Youth Project is a mentorship program that introduces young people to the core values of mana and equips them with the tools to construct their own life code, tuned in with their strengths, values, beliefs, and a deeper understanding of themselves and the world around them. Mana Youth Project uses a narrative mentorship framework and uses a narrative metaphor to draw on the hero's journey to successfully link young people in the community with mentors who guide them in understanding themselves and the world around them. If you want to hear more about the Money Youth Project, head to mana, which is M-A-N-A, youthproject.com or tune in in a few weeks' time when we sit down and have a chat with Rick about his program. Thanks and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. I'm Josh. And I'm Nat. And this week we're joined by Matt. The bro, Matt. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Yep, you're very welcome. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Yep, so uh, I live in Torquay, I'm 30, uh, old enough not to remember how old I am off the cuff, I'm 36, um, I run a MMA and Muay Thai gym in Torquay, uh, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, um, I dabble in all the, the gym services and various capacities to different parts of the community. So I, I wouldn't say I'm just a coach or just a trainer. I do a lot of things down here. Uh, and my background is in working with young people, uh, also working in medial jobs, like working with plastic buckets, um, cleaning, worked in a cinder block factory once. <laughs> so master, uh, wearer of many hats, master of not very many things. I was trying to think of this saying the other day, wasn't I? That's yeah. definitely not it. Is it, no, it's, is it Jack of all trades, master, master of none? It took me a week to figure out the proper <laughs> saying of that. I got really stuck on it. Um, alrighty, well, we start off with our questions. Yeah. yeah. So the first one, sorry, you normally say that, I just stole that from you. The first one is, what was your first ever job? Uh, my first ever job that um, 
I, I had a paper run. So I grew up in a place called Ellerslie in New Zealand, in Auckland, and I got a paper run. And there was a duck pond about uh, 200 metres from my house. And I managed to keep the job for about five days <clears throat> because every paper round when I got the papers delivered, I'd walk straight up the street and put them all in the duck pond. <laughs> and my dad used to walk the same route with the, um, with the dog. And I'd been getting home from my paper rounds after about 20 minutes and he thought that was highly <laughs> suspicious given it should take about three hours. And he was walking the dog, he goes, oh, Matt, you don't know anything about the, like, the large quantity of <laughs> newspapers bobbing up and down the duck pond. I was like, no, no, no. No idea. So that was my first job. That's the best. Yeah, I didn't hold it down very long. How, how long did you actually have it for? I think about five days. Love yeah. that. That's <laughs> Got the sack. I love the but I've become far more reliable. So. I was going to say, yeah. yeah, I think your, your work ethic has improved over time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How funny. <laughs> Uh, um, all right, this is a great question for you. If you were a WWE wrestler, what would be your walkout song? Yeah, I, I don't know, because I've had the, I've been able to, obviously I've fought professionally before, so I've been able to pick my walkout song many times. Do you pick the same one when you have had your pro fights? Uh, that's a good question. Some people do, uh, I didn't, but I always played something for fighting, I always played something that made me feel relaxed and that was fun, to mm. remind me to have fun, but it was also, you know, the rhythm was in sync with my cadence. Mm. And so I usually came out to like old blue stuff. There's a song called Sam and Dave called Hold On, I'm Coming. Robbie Lawler used to walk out for it in the UFC as well. Um, Is it true that Israel Adesanya dances because you used to dance with your walkouts? It's true. Yeah, <laughs> he, he he saw me and he's like, "Man, I've got to have some oh, like, like like swag." Big, Ma <laughs> Big Manny Williams does it. But for um, for WWE because it's a bit more entertainment. I don't know. I might come out to um, set song "Don't Cry for Me" Argentina by Madonna. Yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. No. Maybe something like that. Love Just it. get the party started. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. How funny. The next one is if you had to change careers. What would you do? Um, I feel like this is an easy one for you. Wow, it's a terrifying <laughs> prospect to change careers because I'm in my dream job. But mm. um, there was a period about four years ago where uh, I was thinking about changing careers and I used to fascinate about working at Bunnings. <laughs> yeah. Like there's something about... I've always like really enjoyed either really complex jobs that involve a lot of kind of moving parts, a lot of variables, kind of managing really you know high stress environments, or I enjoy really menial tasks where there's tangible results to observe from my work. So if I was to stack a shelf in Bunnings and have a little bit of banter, I'd be fucking wrapped. Yeah, I love going to Bunnings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think Bunnings would be my dream job and I'm not writing it off just yet. Yeah. 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 And um, a, you're a qualified carpenter as well, aren't you? Yeah, well, yeah. I've got a qualification. I'm certainly of the school of Mickey Mouse carpentry. <laughs> but I like going in there and just talk, like you're problem solving. Yeah. You get to talk to people all day and the band is usually pretty good in Bunnings. Yeah. Up yeah. down here it is anyway. And you get, to, you get to wear a uniform, which is yeah. pretty sick. Yeah. Um, you make jokes about left-handed hammers and stretchy <laughs> tapes and all that stuff. And oh, um, yeah. zero risk, which yeah. I think would be lovely. Yeah. To go home yeah. not having to think about a caseload or, yeah. you know, clients. I ended up and... eating too many snacks. We actually did, um, for work, we did like a fundraiser and did the sausage sizzle at our local Bunnings. 
and I, um, we took young people and we ran the store together and it was great. I literally ate like 12 sausages across the day just because they were there, they were cooking, they smelled so good and I just kept fucking eating them. So if I worked at Bunnings on a day that a sausage sizzle was on, it'd just be danger. Just yeah. be back in five minutes, just yeah. popping out I'd the front. I'd just be constantly eating it. Yeah. yeah. Delicious. Uh, can you tell us about a time at work that you've made a mistake and what have you learned from it? Oh, I should have read your questions when you sent them to me. Bloody liar. <laughs> so I would have been able to think about it. Um, oh man, like I've made so many mistakes and I, I, I think I see a lot of value in mistakes and I always learn from them. Doesn't mean that I don't make the same mistake twice, but I, I learn eventually. I think probably the biggest mistake I've ever made was, and it was over a long period of time, was staying in a role where I had direct support responsibilities, direct care responsibilities, and was doing it just because I wanted a job and because it was a comfortable job and the money was good. Like I think, in retrospect, not kind of following my energy or my passion for a long period of time, that was probably the biggest mistake I've made mm -hmm. and a great learning because that's now one that I can pass on to, uh, to a lot of people in all different kind of aspects of their lives. So I think, you know, the the lesson that I learned from that is to follow your energy or follow your passion. Mm. And when that starts to expire and burn out, yes, we've got, you know, there's there's other considerations. You know, I need to pay the mortgage, I need to look after the kid. But when time allows, I should orientate myself towards pursuing that energy or that passion. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. I think um, something that is very common in the youth work and social work field is people staying in roles just because it's a job, not because they're passionate about it. I think that's really evident in a lot of people yeah. in the field. It's mm. a good one. Mm. The last one is what are your self-care strategies and do you think you implement them well? <laughs> yeah, well, one thing I'm not, so my job now, it's, it's uh, an unusual one because uh, of how many different shapes and forms it takes and you know it, it can and I work with a very broad uh, kind of cross-section of the community here mm. so you know I'll be I work with people in their in their 50s and I work with children um, and I work with fighters and so that that you know the the types of situations I'm dealing with day to day very it's um it's very rare that i'll um kind of feel emotionally fatigued by just going through this, this you know dealing with the same conflict every day which is unique i guess in this this kind of line of work um my self-care strategies uh are almost on autopilot these days like um i guess i'm lucky that i'm in an environment where hitting and punching a bag and doing martial arts is my also my passion. Mm. So I think to a large extent they balance out. Um, one thing that I do a lot down here that I'd never had the luxury to do before is to uh, get in touch with the ocean and the beach. So if I've had a tough day or it's been a while since I've had one, but if I, you know if I'm dealing with something that's difficult or you know there's something ticking over in my head that I need to resolve or unpack. It's very easy for me just to walk down the streets of the ocean. Mm. And I find that's a very, like 20 minutes down there and I feel pretty good. Mm. Um, there's a lookout up in Janjak called Bird Rock. Uh, 
if I have to do like a difficult phone call or something along those lines, I tend to go and do it up there. Mm. So I think I've got a lot of balance and it, everything's kind of harmonious at, at this point. So I, I think I do a pretty good job. I, I've, I think I've always done a pretty good job of self-care strategies mm. um, throughout working with young people. Yeah. Yeah. Does that come back to when you were a kid? Because I remember we've, like, I guess to um, give some people perspective, like you and I have been friends for quite a while now. Yeah, even co- you, kind of co- colleagues. colleagues. Yeah, yeah <laughs> the banter you always yeah. give me back. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but we've chatted, you know, at different times when you always talk about growing up near the beach as a kid. and Because I remember we went to the, sh- uh, like, Safeway or whatever once and you bought, like, a, a little thing of mussels or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah. what the fuck are they? Like, they yeah. just look disgusting to me. And you're like, oh, we used to pull them out of the rock pool when we were kids and stuff. Yeah. And there's, there's moving down to Torquay now and living down here and having the beach so close by. Is that sort of like a full circle thing for you now as a, yeah. to bring your son up in an environment like this as well? Oh, 100%. One of the things that's always bothered me about big city living, uh, Melbourne in particular, is the amount of concrete and the lack of access, direct access to nature. Mm. It's something that's always really... Um, made me feel claustrophobic. And yeah, 100%, that's one of the reasons we moved down here. Um, in Auckland, it was very easy to tap into nature. Yeah. You know, it's 23 kilometers across in the middle um, yeah, from right. coast to coast. So you're always close to a beach. Mm. Um, and it's something that's always made me feel, you know, very at home, I guess. So it's, yeah, it's a huge luxury here. And I hope my son doesn't take it for granted. Mm. He spends a lot of time down, down there on the beach. And, we walk the dog down there at night, etc. Mm. Yeah, it's so nice, isn't it? Because even I think you know, Josh and I were driving down today. We made really good time, um, so we grabbed a coffee and actually went and sat at the beach. And I was saying, my sister and I used to come down for the Rip Curl Pro every year. So sitting down on the beach in Torquay is a pretty yeah. um, nostalgic thing for me. So even when we were sitting on the hill just chatting, looking at the beach, I was like, oh, I'm so fucking relaxed right now. <laughs> this is so nice. Yeah. And you don't realise how much. Well, I haven't realised how much I miss that connection to nature. Until 100%. you sort of sit in it and realise. And I would um, 100% echo the stuff about New Zealand. I'm New Zealand's biggest advocate. I should just yeah. move there. I'm obsessed with the place. Mm. Yeah. I um, wanted to ask, so you mentioned that you grew up in Auckland. How old were you when you came over here? I had this conversation with uh, someone on the phone at the Department of Home and Affairs the other day. And he was fucking rude. On the side note, I don't want to digress too far, but I'm trying to, uh, yeah, I'm trying to like move towards getting my citizenship. Just with the like the, you know, the landscape of politics and stuff. I I, I'm a, I'm not even a permanent resident. I've just got like some special type visa. Right. And he asked me this, and he goes, so he goes, what date did you move here? I was like, bro, what date I moved here? It was a long time ago. He's like, what do you mean you don't know? And he was condescending. I can't remember how old I was. I was, I was about 21 uh, or 22. Yeah. Yeah. Around Roughly. Yeah, that's what I told him. Didn't suffice. <laughs> he needs a date, a time. Yeah. Yeah. The 24 hour period. What was the motivation in coming to Australia? Um, I needed, there was, a lot, well, there was a lot of things going on. I just felt like I needed um, an environmental change. Mm. So Auckland is an amazing place, but. Uh, and, you know, I haven't lived there for a, a long time now, but um, it was also an incredibly toxic place for uh, for me and, like, many of my friends. Mm. Um, and I felt like, you know, I just felt suffocated by that a little bit. had a lot of issues with, um, you know, other people, and um, I'd been getting into quite a bit of trouble and stuff there and just felt like I needed an environmental change. So me and my little brother... Um, 
he's two years younger than me, mm-hmm. we decided within the space of a week that we were going to move. And so I quit my job, I packed a suitcase, he packed the suitcase, and we just moved here. But we wow. had no job, okay, we managed to secure a place as soon as we got here. Um, we didn't know anyone here. Mm. So it was a pretty massive move. Um, you know, and I think when, when I've, uh, I've had, I've used this, ex, you know, the, that experience many times talking to young people when they're kind of crying out for, for, you know, change and they're asking for advice. And I think sometimes that environmental change um, can be really important, mm. but you can't bring your habits. You know, you also, you, you, you don't leave your habits behind. They come with you and, you know, your, your behaviours and the, the old kind of cycles that play out in your life still follow you unless you put some energy into changing those too. Mm. So it was a it was a um, really important moment in my life um, and one I'm glad I did, made, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And now yeah. you're down in beautiful Torquay. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, random question, do you surf? Uh, what, like the internet? <laughs> in the beach. <laughs> um, we yeah. were watching everyone surf this morning. Yeah. Josh was like, it's fucking crazy. Why are they surfing? And I was like, they got wetsuits on. Yeah, look, I've started surfing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's, um, it's, I, it's been a long time since I've learned a brand new skill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it's a really, uh, it's a really confronting thing. Yeah. When you, I'm good at a lot of stuff. You know, there's a lot of things I'm, I'm not great at anything, but there's a lot of things I'm good at, especially physical skills and stuff. So yeah. It's been a long time since I've been a fucking novice, novice. at something. And um, somehow I seem to have uh, been bestowed with the mantle of Whitewater Willie <laughs> down here. Because I went surfing with a couple of the guys from the gym, the younger guys were pretty good. And um, they like paddled straight out over the white water, and I got stuck in the white water for about 45 minutes and was drowned. So oh, what, no. what are Willie's yet, yeah, the, the new mantle? And one that I hope that I'll shake one day. In the red corner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or white water willow. People probably were seeing, they're like, all right, so this guy's pretty interesting, and, you know, he's a, he's a gym owner and a fighter, but you've got a large part of your career where you did work with young people. Mm. Can you talk us a little bit about how you, you obviously came to Melbourne and had your own lived experience, and now you work in the gym and, and kind of engaging young people through that, but... What was the, the main part of your career that you sort of, that led you to, to doing what you're doing now? Um, well, I was working a couple shitty jobs. Um, I was working at Monza, which is like an uh, importation warehouse in North Melbourne for um, like motocross stuff. So it was just a bunch of like crusty demon dudes who just drank lost energy drink at like six in the morning. Smoke meth in the bathrooms and stuff like that. It was a pretty wholesome environment. So I was like, man, like I love this place and these guys are awesome, but I want to get out of here. Yeah. Uh, and I was also bouncing in the evenings, which sucks as well. Um, so there was an old lady, older lady, so she, I'm assuming now she wouldn't listen to this, she's too busy smoking cigs and drinking monster energy drinks. And she's like, oh, my nephew, he works at Parkour Youth Justice. Um, his name's Nick Morgan, you guys might have come across him. He works out in the mountain area. He's a giant. He's got elephantitis. He works out there. Um, they're looking for workers. I was like, there's... I was like, I didn't have my own shit straight by this stage of my life. I was like, there's no way they're going to hire me. You know, I've got face tattoos. Um, I, I, at that stage, I couldn't talk without swearing and stuff. And so I went to the interview 
completely, it's, I think it might have been my first job interview. And I went to it and they called me back and I got the job. I was like, man, how desperate are these people? <laughs> so I started working there and I thought that I was going to be shit at the job. Uh, but I was working in the Ramad North unit, which at that stage had 12 beds and 24 young people mm. for 12 beds. So people were sleeping. It was a stage a long, long time ago where people were sleeping on mattresses in the isolation units and um, <clears throat> so on and so forth. And there was one day in particular that there was a, a young person down one of the wings and uh, you know, smashing stuff and carrying on. And I was super new, like third day or something. I was like, man, you know, it's just a young person to me at that stage. I hadn't been um, kind of brainwashed into thinking it was a dangerous young person. <laughs> and I went, I went down and just started talking to him. And when I was talking to him, I kind of figured out, well, we, we, we kind of came to this place where we realized that our experiences in life were pretty similar. Mm. You know, and I was able then to provide him some advice retrospective of my own journey. And I walked, and he come down, and I walked down the hall, and people were like, oh, God, that's fucking amazing. I was like, really? <laughs> just kind of had a conversation. That was kind of the first kind of light bulb moment. I was like, oh, you know what? I might actually kind of be good at this job. And so I stuck that out for uh, almost 10 years, mm. that, that shitty job. Yeah. And it, it, it led me on to other things. So it was a, it was a great learning. I don't want to dwell on Pathway with Justice because the stories are boring and everyone's got them. Mm. But what it did is it... Um, afforded me uh, some clarity in terms of how I looked at you know, the landscape of youth work in Victoria and all who the, where the different players were and how all the pieces fit together, which in turn allowed me to identify where some service gaps were that I felt my particular expertise would find a home um, and, and do some good. Uh, and that led me on to other things. Hmm. I think if I could reflect, you know, working with you at Parkville, I felt like um, the people that worked at Parkville during that time, um, you kind of went one way or another. You either kind of moved along with the way that, that the youth justice system was moving, which was more to like a more um, punitive, sort of not as um, therapeutic or supportive environment, or you kind of wanted to keep going the way of supporting young people and being open-minded about the way you could do that. And that more than likely um, led you to have to get another job if you wanted to keep working that way, which I did, uh, which you did. And I remember having a conversation with you, and I don't remember if you, if you, I don't know if you remember this. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> um, and it was when you had started to work on the Chin Up Project, which we'll talk about. But I said to you, I'm really surprised that you're doing this. And you kind of said, do you remember this conversation? No. Nah, we're at a cafe in Flemington. And I was like, I feel like you'd just be over it. Like, I feel like you'd just be burnt out of it and that you would be, you know, because you held a pretty senior position by, that, by the time that you left and had seen a fair bit of shit. Um, but your motivation to, to keep working with young people in one way or another was still there. Um, what, what drove that for you? Well, I think, uh, uh, yeah, this is probably tying back to uh, what I said around my biggest mistake and... In uh, a job was not following my energy, mm. and that, um, and that's like my, like my passion was working with young people, and like I was estranged from that within the role that I was in youth justice, and I felt youth justice in a whole, in terms of the custodial part, was estranged from, you know, the, working with young people, 
and, and, and like a human capacity. Mm. Like it, yeah, it, it felt very um, kind of codified and that that's not my style. And I, I felt that in creating a, um, in, in working on a project like Chin Up, there was opportunity there to kind of harness the power of that conversation that I had in the Ramon unit when I first felt that I had value in this space, which is providing learnings retrospective of our experiences and our mistakes, because that is how human beings have passed on wisdom over uh, over time. Mm. Like that's that's why that's how we do it. Before there was computers and textbooks, that's it was through narrative and sharing the stories and. Um, and I know the power in having, you know, someone particularly like um, as a as a young man having an older man then pass that kind of mature masculine wisdom on. Like mm-hmm. that's that's how we do things. Um, so I, I was absolutely passionate about it and felt and had energy to invest in it. So, and that's why I did it. Yeah. And that and that, and, and you know that's I'm not I'm not too distant from that now and what I'm doing. This mm. is. What a gym is, is it's a, it's a different forum. It's a unique forum, but it's free of a lot of the risk inversion and stuff that exists in the youth space. Mm. Um, so I've kind of found myself in this little honey hole. Mm. You know? it's, it's something I want to touch on a little bit later is that sense of community that I think is really important to you. But um, I guess to touch on the Chin Up Project, because that was quite a unique program, or still is quite a unique program, which I think it's probably morphed a little bit from the way that it was first written, I'm not 100% sure. Um, yeah, look, so, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's because it, it, its beauty is in its simplicity and in its, um, and being small. So when you're a small, a really small organization, you've got the capacity to be nimble in terms of adjusting what you do to suit an organization's unique issues or conflicts just to work with a young person and consideration of their unique circumstance and also to go go with the flow of the times as well so as like street culture you know changes as larger organizations move and shift and change you can float around the edges of those and and fill that space so it's it's beauty was in it not being rigid um certainly that's how that was my intention behind it um i uh, my brother moved over here. So my brother's my older brother, and he worked in a uh, program in New Zealand called Start Taranaki, and they took young people out of, uh, they call it residence there, it's youth justice, but on a much smaller scale. Yeah. And they took them into this place called Hebron House. Um, and it was, a, I, th- I believe it was three months, they were on this order, they would stay at this house, and they will take them out into the wilderness, and uh, you know, days at a time. And it was really powerful stuff, like transform, transformational stuff. How, how I believe youth work should really be mm. orientated. And New Zealand's free of a lot of the constraints that we have in Australia. There's, um, a, there's a video, and I'll, I'll find the link and I'll send it. You would have yeah. obviously seen it because your brother's in it. But it's so funny because, like, I know Todd from through you and just a little bit through, like, just social um, events yeah. and playing touch rugby and stuff. But it's so funny because there's, like, all the kids and they've got all, like, their, their green gear, you know, like, all their hiking gear and stuff. And, like... 
your brother's out there, he's got like a big basketball jersey on and like <laughs> TNs or whatever, like doing the thing and just being him. Yeah. And then there's all the kids doing there because they do this big like hike and they stay out and stuff. It's so funny, but like it's just funny seeing Todd in just his big like basketball jersey and like. Yeah, well, he's, uh, if you watch that Vice documentary. Yeah, that's right, Vice, yeah. Um, he's, uh, you know, an incredible youth worker. One of, like, the things that I do well, he does uh, in bounds better than me in terms of his. Uh, passion and his energy um, and I always knew that and when he came and so he came over and he started facilitating with us and it didn't take long for me to realize that he could take it beyond what I could do and that uh, is uh, that was important to me that I that it went in the direction or at least some of the work went in the direction that I intended it but of course then he's gonna um, He's been giving his own flavor and his own style because it's, it's all about the facilitator's unique experiences and, and um, kind of molding the content around that. You know, the way that Hayes Alapiti runs the program is different to the way Todd does, to the way different to the way Louis does. Mm. And so I decided that I would step back and let that energy carry it forward um, and kind of step back to an advisory capacity. You know, it's, you know that's kind of where some of my skills now lie is in terms of kind of just um, some of the organisational stuff. I feel I can offer something in that uh, and in turn have a larger impact on young people as opposed to standing in front of a class or, you know, a club or something like that. Mm. <clears throat> do you miss that? <laughs> no, because I do it every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do. Like, for those people, like, for those who haven't been in a martial art club, Yeah. Um, this is okay. my first time in a martial arts club, just to clarify. Yeah, well, me and you are first fighting in about five minutes. <laughs> so the, it, I it's... I looking at that being like... <laughs> I, I told Nat I was going to wind you up and ask about, like, your karate fights you've had, but I didn't get to squeeze you in just yet. <laughs> I have had karate fights. Oh, of course you have. So the, um, the, the way a club is set up, well, the way my club is set up is... Uh, a way in which I have a relationship with every person. Mm. So I could go like this thing. We, we had a wait list last year of 50 members or something. Like I, I could go and get a gigantic warehouse and pack it full of people and teach them how to punch and kick. <clears throat> but the, the way I prefer to coach is to have one-on-one -on -one relationships with each person and to have an understanding of where they're at and then be able to... to direct my energy when it's needed into people beyond what happens on the map. Mm. It was a, a, a gym for many people is a place of transformation and becoming and um, it's for some people it's a place of support. Um, you know, even if it's just kind of being around people or if it's around talking to people or if it's about having mentors. Mm. But um, I'm often standing in front of a group speaking like to a class, at the end of class, speaking to a theme or, yeah. you know, something that happened on the weekend or, so I'm still doing it every mm. day. Yeah, it's just the forum's changed. Yeah, and I'm freer happen. now to do whatever I do, not to do whatever I want, to, to do, <laughs> well, not in here killing chickens and having bonfires and stuff, but <laughs> to do, not that I want to do that, maybe I would, but to do, um, you know, to do work with people how I feel like, I'm best served to. Mm. Yeah. Which would be nice, I guess, as well, to, I guess, the constraints in which you would 
they're your own constraints. It's not that you're, you know, um, complying with director's instructions for YJ or you're not looking at guidelines or policies and procedures. You know, this is your little forum that you've... Well, not little, but this is your forum that you've created and that you can sort of, I guess, showcase or engage or... Um, like however you see fit, you know, you're not running by other people's rules. This is this is mm. your your safe place that you've created, mm. and I think it's pretty evident even when we walked in over the other side, just the relationships that you do have with the people in the space. Which yeah. I think relationships in any capacity, whether it's a gym, whether it's youth work, whether it's being an electrician, or I think relationships is a really integral part of connecting with people. Um, I wanted to ask you though, bef and before I forget, because I have a really bad habit of forgetting points. One of the biggest things that um, I think comes up in youth work um, with young people is the argument of let's get him hooked up with that good boxing gym down yeah. the street. It's really it's, give him some schedule, give him some routine, all that sort of stuff. And then you've got like your sort of governing bodies being like, no, you're teaching the kids to fight. They're going to go out on the street, beat the shit out of people. You can't do that. Look at their offending history. Blah blah blah. What would your two cents on that argument be? Mm. Um, at one point in time, I was sitting down with uh, an assistant director in youth justice. <laughs> and I'm, I like them, so I don't want to get them in trouble. But we, we sat down and we spent a large amount of time and kind of sculpting what that might look like and troubleshooting all the potential responses. And so I've got more than two cents to put. <laughs> yeah. I've got, I've got a document in some way. But um, what I know of... What I've what have I, what I've, I've observed around how young people, uh, particularly young men, interact uh, in this environment and how they carry forward what I teach them is they they come to respect their own morality in a different sense. So if 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 I've got a young person here. And I'm teaching them how to fight. They're being physical and they're learning about the capability of their body. And they're also being guided through that and, and regard, if, the, if the trainer's good and, the, and the, the environment's right. They're also being guided how not to attach violence to their identity. They're, they're learning other skills that balance it out. They're learning how to um, leave their ego at the door. You want to know if there's a sign at the door and that's not just token, like that's mm. something we speak to. They're watching other um, uh, others who they probably perceive in a lot of senses, sense as, you know, having prestige, so like my fighters, for instance. Mm. And they're listening to them, um, you know, have a, have a conversation or the tone of their conversation being one of anti-violence outside of here. And they're seeing on the terms and conditions that when they sign up that, you know, uh, violence outside of the space is one which isn't tolerated. Um, and I, I, I think when those things are done in the right environment, like the mix is right, it's the best place for a young person, especially one who's probably been violent outside, mm -hmm to come and be physical and learn about their own capacity for right and wrong. Like I think that's this is the best place to do it rather than playing with that and experimenting with that on the street. Mm. Like the worst place to come to terms with your own morality would be punching someone in the back of their head in a hungry jacks and being in front of the courts. Yeah. You know, so there's heaps of value 
has so much value, but there also has to be the right people, mm. you know, because it's it's sensitive. Mm. Um, and there's just like in any profession, there's wrong people are in the job, you know, <clears throat> for the wrong reasons, mm. or they're in it because it's a sport, and but they're also taking on young people who they might not have a sense of responsibility to, or be partaking um, this kind of work in a community where they don't have a well, they don't have a sense of responsibility too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's I wanted to ask, I thought about that um, when we originally figured out that we were going to come down to Geelong because it comes up all the time and the argument, um, it's definitely something that we've supported for young people before and I think the results that we've seen in those young people have just been phenomenal um, and I think they were really sudden and it was something that we could even just visually see in the way that those young people carried themselves outside of the gym and even when they, you know, we would go and watch them train and the way in which they were in that space, it was just a really yeah. awesome journey to, to see. And I think um, the statements that come out from, you know, department heads of, we well, teaching them to fly and then, you know, what happens, they go on the street and they do blah, 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 comes from a really sort of... Um, almost like a naive space of go sit in a boxing gym and see what happens in there and, um, you know, learn a little bit more about that lifestyle. It's not that there's just a bunch of these meatheads going into a gym or mm. punching each other in the face. Like, there's... Mm. It's a perception that, oh, like, people who fight MMA or, or fighters or, you know, the common, like, UFC fighters are all, like, real angry or, or, or assholes or and things. People. Aggressive people. But, yeah. you, like, you very quickly learn that they're probably the most humble people because of the experiences that they've had and their discipline and the environment of the gym. And to a large extent, anti-violent. Mm. Mm. Like there's, um, you know, I've got a group of young people here who are in their early 20s, like young guys. And, you know, Torquay, um, you know, it's kind of got, I guess it's got a lingering locals only type vibe, especially at the pub on a Saturday night, you know? Um, and a lot of these kids are growing up here and there's a group of them who are involved in quite a lot of violence, like back, you know, um, going back a couple of years ago and their names rang out through town and in the papers and stuff. And they, when they, when they came here, they were some of the first uh, guys on the map and um, they are now after, you know, two years are now probably the, the, the leaders in terms of pushing that conversation around like this is where everything stays and they've they've changed in a way that's hard to quantify to um, you know head head office you yeah. know like it's hard to quantify how a young person has benefited from behaviors that have been role modeled to them it's hard to quantify other than on a graph a questionnaire how someone's self-esteem's improved, how their confidence improved in themselves. Like that, these things are, are really difficult to um, to capture in data, right? Mm. So then if you haven't experienced yourself, if you <clears throat> haven't observed firsthand the change in somebody or felt the change in yourself, it's hard then to um, see, see the value in it. I, and I get that. Mm. Uh, I, I'm not sure how you go around changing perception in that way. Um, certainly I think <clears throat> I, I've tried in the past like making little kind of film snippets like little short films and um, we've done a lot of kind of 
work for free um, for uh, like uh, so for instance the the place across the road there's a high school across the road mm. and we've every Friday we've got a free session for kids attached to the well-being department and it's this opportunity for them to come and use the space to be taught some stuff to feel good and have a circuit breaker between um, you know the their week and the weekend mm. uh, and in the hope I'm in, in doing that I'm hoping that you know that there's observable change in them and that can be communicated in some way shape or form to principals and APs and things to try and get larger bodies of students through. Mm. That'd be cool. I remember when I was in high school, they started to, sort of doing that towards the end, but it was like yoga sessions um, at the end of a Friday for um, whoever wanted to come really. And they were looking at bringing in, I think, um, I think it was something to do with footy training, but it was like a, they were going to bring in like a um, specialised trainer to do certain things with the guys if they wanted to and they were sort of trying to get I guess regular activities at the end of a Friday to like you said have a circuit break between school and the weekend but also I guess for student well-being where I grew up was you know there wasn't much there's minimal public transport nowhere for young people to hang out so inevitably they just get up to no good because they've got nothing else to do or to yeah. entertain their time with um, and I, was, I didn't see how that transpired because I finished but it, in the small time that I did do it, um, it was really nice. It was even not necessarily the activity itself, but the sense of belonging with your group of people in that space was nice to be able to connect with other people within your year level that you wouldn't necessarily have connected with otherwise because they're outside your friend group or um, yeah, just people that you wouldn't usually associate with. I, I think there's probably a point that I, I missed and that's, um, I might have touched on it, and that's the importance of a parallel conversation um, that goes along with the, the physical skills that you're teaching. Mm. Um, because in martial arts, there lies these old adages, like these old colloquialisms. And in those, there's heaps of wisdom. And a lot of people would understand it on a base level, even if they haven't trained in a gym before. So if I was to say to someone, roll with the punches, like that comes, that carries with it a set of ideas right like mm. a set of learnings to pick yourself up off the mat to have someone in your corner to hop over the ropes like all of these old colloquialisms adages they carry with them a set uh, a, a set of ideas and it's been my experience that if i have these conversations with young people in the forum of a martial art gym in parallel with physical skills, that a barrier comes down. Mm. So if I was to go uh, and meet a person in an office, or to meet you know, at the, the school or wherever, outside of the space, and I was to lead straight into a conversation or work my way out to a co conversation around having someone in their corner, um, there, more, there could very well be you know, some barriers put up. But if I'm here, and I'm using the context of martial arts to extrapolate the learnings from it, young people are really open to it. Um, we do some stuff in the ring where I get small groups of young people and I'll invite them into the ring. Symbolic of hopping over the ropes as an opportunity to make themselves better and to challenge their ideas and to, to, to make themselves uncomfortable because that's what a fight is, right? Mm. Like why do people fight? They don't fight for the money because the money's shit. 
like you fight to learn something about yourself to make yourself better. And we, we do some, you know, even having someone in your corner, I'll, I'll have a young person sit on a stool and have another young person stand in front of them like they're providing them corner advice in, in between rounds mm. and do some breathing exercises with them to lower their heart rate and then provide advice to them and then flip it on its head and say, okay, you just provided them boxing advice. Now provide them some uh, some life advice. Mm. And it's it, it's... Yeah, it's just such a good forum to have d discussions with young people in. Mm. Like sitting in a ring is so symbolic, you know? Pretty cool. Yeah, it would be pretty cool. <coughs> I like that you said fights are uncomfortable, because I think, even, and it's probably a really naive opinion of mine, but I even remember the first time I watched a UFC fight, I cried. Because before they did the whole story of like, this is the guy with his daughter and his wife and look at his wonderful life and he's such a good dad, blah, blah, blah. And then he just got absolutely pummeled in the ring and I just started crying. I was like, oh, he's such a good dad though. I was so sad. And then I was like, I can't watch UFC again. Like it's too much for me. And then it wasn't until a couple of years later that friends of mine sort of got into it and explaining, like learning, I guess, a little bit more about it and the respect for the ring and then even seeing at the end of a fight when they hug or, you know, touch gloves or whatever, that was not something that I'd historically experienced when I watched it because I was just so sad <laughs> and I didn't end, end up watching the rest of the fight because I couldn't handle him having the shit beaten out of him. But even I think for people that aren't necessarily in the ring, in the fight, it's still an uncomfortable situation that I think people can, like I learned a lot about myself just even in those interactions and now quite like the UFC, like I like watching it when it's on and we'll get the fight passes and whatever and have some people over to watch it. But even for me, that was uncomfortable in a learning process about myself. Why, do, why did that make me so uncomfortable, you know, to, and so upset when he was getting the shit beaten out of him or even now to watch fights and just to see the way that they interact or even like you're saying when they are in the corner with their trainer or whoever like it's a really intricate thing to observe um but yeah i just really liked that you used the word uncomfortable not necessarily just for the people in the ring fighting well it's strip fight what fighting does is it strips away all of the comforts and all of the it strips away everything back to its rawest form mm. like fighting is our most like it's uh, it's human beings at their most primal it's a very primal thing like a human a human knows how to ball up their fist even without being shown how to do it like it's something that we've done and it exists within our dna and i think that in itself the fact that we have capacity for violence is confronting mm. and when when you see it at that but and that kind of raw form i think it does tap into us something innate and you know what what i'll say of, of when you're in that moment it's no one else in that on the planet in that moment can give you that moment other than your opponent which it kind of it, it removes the wanton violence from it like there's a real kind of deep connection or a, um you know a really deep respect like you're the you're the only two people in that moment going through sharing that same thing mm. and you're both affording that other person whatever they wanted from that fight. Like, well, I, I think wins and losses are um, irrelevant because people forget in two or three years time. So um, yeah, it's a pretty special thing. Mm. And that happens in a, in, a, in a small way, less pronounced every single day in the gym. Like those little learnings to be humbled, to lose. Like these are great things yeah. for people to learn, to be uncomfortable, 
Like, these are the best things. Like, we live in a world of comforts and when, when things, things are made very easy for us. And to persevere through challenge and maybe have a real shit day in the gym or to realize that you're getting old or that, you, you know, that you're not, that you're um, like to come to terms with your own mortality. Like, these are great things for people, mm. you know? One of the things I love about the gym, and, and I've, I've, I, um, I think probably through you, to be honest, is probably sort of employed the same sort of narrative around supporting young people in a gym like, um, like you do and encourage, you know, like young people or uh, care teams of young people to kind of explore whether that's something for that young person is, I think, like you just said, like the being humbled in a gym. I think, you know, so many young people sort of think that they know everything and can fight and all these sorts of things but step into a gym and and kind of you know learn the, the proper way or like brazilian jiu-jitsu i think is a great example there's no striking it's just in about three seconds you know you're gonna get choked out or you're gonna tap or something and i love that it breaks down the stereotype of people as well i think like we were talking about before about you know people that fight it's that they're aggressive or that they're they're the big they're the big one or the ones that are covered in lots of tattoos you know or the scary looking one but I love that you can go into a gym and get like tapped out by some 50 kilo guy, girl, doesn't matter. Like, or the big guy that comes into the gym actually is a horrible fighter and he's there learning just like you are. It, does, it just puts everybody on an even playing field. Mm. And I think what I have loved about it, and I think one of the things that I've loved about uh, working with you and watching you, even watching you from afar, if I could say, sort of through social media now that you've moved further away from Melbourne is the sense of community that you continually uh, and I'll be interested to know whether you do it on purpose or if it's just something that comes naturally but the sense of community that you always seem to put in place like even when we worked together um, you would you created a sense of community within the team we worked in within the I, I feel like within the facility but specifically within the team and I could see that you've done that down here. I think, you know, we touched on before the podcast started that you did the 100 kicks for Cody, a young, a young person that passed away down here on the surf coast uh, a couple of years ago now. But I think that the gym had only been open for maybe six months or less. And you took that opportunity to bring the community together and put on, uh, I don't want to call it an event, um, a get together, a memorial for him. Where does that come from for you, that sense of community and building it? Is it natural or is it something you set out to do? I, just, I know that uh, what my ingredients for happiness are mm. and that it's very simple for me. And, you know, I, I, I think it would be true for most people that something that's really important to them is a sense of community and a sense that they belong to something. You know, we're very, we're tribal creatures at heart. And um, when I see people, and often when I see people at their lowest point in their lives, they feel incredibly isolated from community, a sense of community, or not seeing a reflection of themselves in community, which leads them on a path to, uh, which leads them down a dark path. Um, I, I know for me that if I have purpose and I have people and that I have the opportunity to persevere and to be challenged, that um, I feel happy. If I'm spending time estranged from community, if I 
feel like what I'm doing is just a job and that it's not useful. And if I'm not challenged, I'm at my lowest. Um, I, I also just think it's one of my skills. I find it, I'm comfortable building community because I, I think also like I've never been to university. I, I, um, I struck like my, I don't know if you've ever tried to read my spelling, it's terrible. Like I've, I'm, I'm probably dyslexic. I just don't, I, you know, I didn't get that far. But what I'm good at is uh, people and reading people and, you know, getting a, real, a sense of the balance of a, of a large group of people or a community and kind of knowing where to invest energy. Um, so when something like the Kicks for Cody happened, um, even though I was new to the community, I felt like I had a way to afford you know, a forum and I knew what words to say. Mm. So if you've got that, I feel, like, I feel like that's my responsibility to do it because I see myself as part of the community. If I didn't, I might have been reluctant to step forward. Mm. But I've, you know, if I'm here, I'm, I'm here. Like I'm a flag up. Mm. Motherfucker, I've arrived. Bring <laughs> <laughs> the bells. So yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's essential. Like if, if um, I, I don't think human beings can be happy without, um, you know, a sense of community in some way, shape or form, however we might find it. And yet gyms is this, you know, gyms is embodied community. Mm. It is you, you've got people from all different walks of life, um, you know, different religions, creeds, cultures, it, it, it doesn't matter. Martial arts is the great leveler. Mm. I ran a, um, I've done it a couple of times now, a seminar in Sonoa, out the back of the Australian consulate in Indonesia. And if you hop over the back fence of the Australian embassy, <clears throat> there's rice paddy fields and they're just full of rubbish. And the rice paddy fields, when it rains, they flood. And there's communities living in the rice paddy fields. And every time it rains, they live in like three Walton shacks. Every time it rains, the water rises up in their hut. So they have to sleep in... Um, on milk crates to accommodate for the change of water level. So they're in incredible poverty. Mm. And then the government's always kicking them out of the space, you know, too close to the, the government's consulates and stuff. Um, so I've, there's a small gym there um, set up by a guy called Jeff Collins, who's formerly from Tasmania, but he's lived, he speaks Bahasa. And, um, he's lived in Indonesia for about 20 years. And he teaches jiu-jitsu. Uh, when I first went there, his gym was a dirt floor the roof now then it was a tarpaulin and he had some mats um and my experience of teaching there is one where i don't speak the same language i don't live in object poverty um i've grown up you know to a large extent very privileged especially in comparative to these young people yes. but when you are sharing in martial arts with them that everything's on the same level like, it, like regardless of them being Muslim or me or, or Christian and me being atheist or whatever the fuck I am and me speaking English and then Bahasa, everything's the same. Mm. So <clears throat> that then a gym is the perfect place to bring people together, you know, because it removes all those things. It brings us back to our essence, I think. Mm. Um, and you're also then struggling and persevering through stuff. If you go to a fight show 
if you go to a fight show in Melbourne, and one, one of the first things you'll notice as the place starts to pack up, like pack, pack full of people, is you'll notice all the different gym t-shirts and people wearing the, the stuff on them, like they're proud to carry it. Mm. Um, and they're there in support of one of them who's fighting. Like it's, it's um, and it's not a hostile environment. It's one, it's one of like support. And often, you know, there's, you know, they, they might be supporting someone who they don't have a relationship with outside than other than just training at the gym. Mm. It's a real true sense of community and you feel like you're going through something together. Mm. Uh, much the same as you might see, you know, people go to the footy and wear the footy colours, you know, like it's a community. It's on a much bigger scale. Mm. Mm. It, you're right though, and not on a large scale have I experienced that. <clears throat> I had a friend that, um, that, like one of the only times that I've set foot in a boxing gym, um, was I had a friend who was doing boxing and had a fight and had asked us to come and watch and support. And I remember the whole drive there being like, what if he gets the shit beaten out of him though? I don't know if I'll be able to watch that. Like, I don't know if I can stomach that. That makes me uncomfortable. And so uh, my friend and I were sort of joking on the drive there about it. And then we, we got there and I, it was all about the perception that I had of what it was going to be. And it was definitely like a movie vibe that I'd um, had in my head. But it was, it was, you know, the coaches were there. They're, they're all teammates and they were, all the supporters were supportive of both the people in the ring. And um, I think there's just a real sense of collective purpose, um, which is really nice. I think it's probably something that, like I've not had um, lots of experiences, like I said, in boxing gyms or in MMA gyms or wherever, but I think it's definitely a perception of external, like the, the negative connotations, sorry, that I think come along with it are from people that don't have an internal perspective or have not experienced it. And then I think all it takes is that one opportunity or that, that one time that you might do an event um, or something at the gym or you know something in memorial of somebody else for just that one person to observe that it's actually a completely different environment to what you see. And I think it's not too dissimilar. Like for us when, you know, we often joke about the Sunday barbecue chats and people go, oh, you're a youth worker or you're a social worker. How do you, I could never do that. I take my hat off to you, blah, blah, blah. I think it's a very similar sort of line of, it's just the internal perspective that mm. the, that you don't see the goings-ins of that inside world, I guess, mm. is what I'm getting to. It's just about new experiences and being open yep. to those new experiences and not shutting them off just because of your unconscious bias or whatever it might be. Yeah, sure. We, when we opened the other gym, so we're currently sitting in one of two gyms I have. They're both very small, but they're pretty much adjacent to one another. Mm. Um, we were very new to the community. We've been here about two or three months. And I was... He, you know, I know what I look like, <laughs> you know, and like, I know what it is to come in, to live in a small town. I've done that before, like I grew up in one. And then you know, when I was living in uh, Mount Monganui in New Zealand, that's where I grew up before I moved to Auckland. And I, I was very conscious of perception and how it might be perceived that a person with face tattoos is coming into a new town and opening up a fight gym. Mm. Um, what were, I was really what was really important to me was to showcase what is good about Muay Thai straight off the cut. Um, Muay Thai is, is, just means, um, it means Thai boxing, essentially. Um, Thailand is a collectivist culture, right? Like, they're, like many Eastern cultures, they're one in which you know, the community is celebrated and people don't, aren't orientated inwardly, they're orientated outwardly. And it's one which Buddhism um, 
is incredibly ingrained within. Even Muay Thai, the art, is incredibly ingrained within. So we had a Thai monk come to the opening and bless the gym um, and bless the people in it. And we said some words to the effect of welcoming everyone into, you know, that uh, community, I think. Yeah, when people come and they see that, it, it's one of those moments you're talking about, right? Yeah. 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 And it is, I think it, yeah. I, did, I don't want to harp on on the point, but I think it's just a very... I would just encourage people, I think, to go and explore and be open to those experiences because mm. you... You never know what you might learn about yourself or others, but I think that there's maybe perceptions of certain pockets of societies or gyms or fighting gyms or whatever that, you know, people just have this unconscious or this preconceived opinion of already. And mm. yeah, I think it, there's just such wonderful opportunity mm. if people were just more open. And you've taken point. a few other angles. Hey, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, uh, a scholarship or a not an apprenticeship, but you're running something through the gym to support young people? Yeah, so um, we do a number of things. Uh, one of the ones that we've done publicly recently is a junior athletic development sponsorship. Yeah. So we've got, some, we've got some teenagers here who will come here straight from school um, and they will be here until about 8.30 at night. So they'll hang out after school, they'll get changed into their stuff, I just let them use the space and they'll train, they might sit around and talk. When they're doing that, they're surrounded by, you know, they're surrounded by the community, right? They're surrounded by adults and, you know, 90% of the conversation is pro-social, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is good. And I want to encourage, like the more young people, like they're my, they're my next gen, mm-hmm. right? They're going to the people who are going to carry forward the culture and have it self-sustained. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then it's not just what I prescribed, it, it, it's living and breathing, it, it, it carries itself forward and evolves to, for the better. Uh, and so I wanted to encourage more of that and also reward consistency and, um, and perseverance, really. So yeah, we offered two junior athletic sponsorships, um, one for 12 months, one for six months. So they train for free, they get a mentor. Um, <coughs> excuse me, I was yelling last night. <laughs> mentor. Um, and one-on-one coaching, both in life and in um, martial arts. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty powerful thing that two young people who received it, they not only deserved it, but they probably needed it at mm. the time. Mm. And it's transformational. Like they walk in, one of them is what, man, you know, you touched on this, the way they fit, present physically. Mm. This kid's a big, tall, lanky kid, and he used to hunch over like a banana. And now he's walking out with his chest up and his chin up. Mm. And that's observed. Oh, I noticed that stuff straight away. Like my, 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 my whole world is around watching people move now mm. and observing the change. And I can see it as soon as he walks in the gym. So I look forward to doing that, probably on a bigger scale as we move forward. And I've got more capacity to afford energy to that. Mm. Yeah. That's cool. <coughs> I like that it's not just here, come use the gym for free. There's like what you were saying before around the journey stuff it's to do but the fighting but then to teach something on a parallel journey as well about life or advice or whatever that might be yeah like i think it's like a whole encompassing Hmm. like scholarship rather than being like here's a fancy gym or here's a fancy school go there it's thinking about sort of everything that would best support that person to achieve the best results yeah particularly with like the one-on-one coaching and in life and not just 
not just martial arts. Yeah, and I, I think just like more broadly, just having a place where young people feel comfortable and just coming and being. Mm. Like if you, if you, my, oh, actually, when we're walking over here, there's just all these little groms out the front skating. Yeah, that was so cute. So it, it's, <laughs> but that's, it's awesome though. I get to have that. That's constant. Yeah. That, I, you know, if there's kids hanging around front, I just open up the gym, I let them run around in there. Mm. Like it's a padded fucking room. Mm. Yeah. You know? <laughs> What's the worst thing so, But if they're here, if they're here, then I can wrap those things around them. Mm. If they feel, like I know most of them by name, I got one of their names wrong before, but I used to get punched in the head for a job, you know, like, <laughs> it's a great place for kids to grow up. I want my kid, my, my kid does grow up in a gym, but if I didn't have a gym, I'd want him to have that opportunity, mm. you know? Yeah. And a lot of the businesses around here, honestly, they, they, they just bring their kid, they just bring their kids in and they just send them in through the front door. I was gonna say, speak of the devil. Speak of the devil. He's just the one who did. Hey, dude. What you doing? <laughs> My son's just walked into the room with his hands in his pockets, looking yeah. very cool. Looking very chill. <laughs> we'll um, we'll start to wrap it up, but I'm <clears throat> I've always known you as someone who's got multiple balls in the air, <clears throat> um, and your partner Lani as well is always you know spinning multiple plates. <laughs> is there anything left? What's you know what's what's the next goal? Uh, I can't. You don't sit still. No, I can't sit still. Which, which is, uh, can I just quickly say before you get onto your not sitting still point is hilarious coming from you. Well, I've every time I make the joke, Matt pretty much always tells me to fuck off. But I've said many times that I see Matt as a mentor, and so yeah. probably part of that is stems from him. Mm. If I'm honest. Um, well, I think I think um, it's it's just like following my energy. Like when I've got energy to do something, it. Like it's not it's not gonna benefit it's not gonna benefit me if I just like dwell on it for a bit and don't pursue it. Like I need to follow it. Mm. Like uh, if I've got passion I wanna like harness up to that bitch and like let it carry me forward, you know? Yeah. Um see so I got I got but it's also it's it's also a trap. But it's one that I've got good at recognising now because there, there is a trap in this kind of personality type and that you dilute what you're doing. You, you spread your energy too far and, and too many places and then it doesn't carry currency when it needs to. You, you, need, you need to be able to channel it into a, into, a, into a young person or into a space or yourself when you need it. You can't spread yourself too thin, but I have got some things on the go. Um, and yeah, really looking forward to this year. Look, my goal is to be a traveling fight coach. So I'm gonna, I've got, uh, incredible amount of talent here and my knowledge of developing systems and teaching has allowed me to put together a really good system and so I see myself in the next three or four years being in America being in Europe being in Asia once every couple of months traveling like that's my dream job there's nowhere else I'd rather be than right there and I don't have to get punched in the head doing it which is yeah. pretty cool but we're, we're putting on a flight promotion down here next year uh, sorry in April it is this next year already yeah, it is. Oh, <laughs> so we're doing a flight promotion in April now we are using a lot of uh, young people for that so we've tapped into the school uh, the local high school their VCAL students are going to help us run it with real world projects awesome. so uh, and their media studies people are going to do all our, um, our production work uh, and we're tapping into a couple local businesses to fight each other to raise money for charity. That's so, so cool! Yeah, I'm egging them on and it's, um, it's starting to carry some weight. So Still think brewery versus brewery. Um, 
you know, real estate versus real estate, awesome. surf club versus surf club, put a wager up that goes to charity. So that, oh, I love this shit. Yeah, you know? that's great. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. We'll have to keep us in the loop of when that happens. Sure. There's got to be a couple of scrappy Geelong Cats boys, isn't there? Surely. Yeah, uh, yeah. There's got to be. Yeah. Yeah. The football club. Oh. We're in Geelong, so <laughs> local businesses and... I was like, yeah, it's okay. It's all right. I'm with it now. Yeah. Before we finish up, we always finish off with a final question. If you had any words of wisdom or pieces of advice for new workers or maybe people not feeling so invigorated, what would your uh, pieces of advice or wisdom? Yeah. I'm sure you've got plenty. Yeah. I, I think um, I think this this kind of response often gets over complicated and I'd like to boil it down to something more simple and potentially if someone people could find then a minute to recognize in themselves the th three ingredients that equate to ha their happiness in life so if they can realize what's important to them maybe write that down what's most important to them if they are to be left with three things not superficial not monetary things not material things three things that they'd be left with on this planet if everything else was stripped away, what would they be? And maybe use that as a guide or like a sieve to kind of strain everything else through and find three ingredients that make themselves happy. So for mine, having purpose, like something that I can dedicate myself to that's meaningful, that means something to me, that I can live for beyond myself or, or, or a wage. Um, community, so people find out who they are and why they're important to me and where I'm value aligned. Like what community am I value aligned with? Where is the synergy? And if I'm out of alignment, then look for it elsewhere. Mm. And the last one would be to find opportunities to be uncomfortable and to persevere. So for me, that's getting beaten up by my students. Mm. For me, that's um, you know, you know, coming to work and uh, knowing that I'm going to come to terms with my own morality or mortality at, at some stage. So boil it down to three three things and then live by those. I think that's a great way to approach working with young people and community with. If, yeah. you, if you understand what they are, they'll give you a lot of direction and career. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, yeah thanks, man. I really appreciate it. I didn't know if we'll get time to get down here. You know, it's a long way, and but it's worked out for us. and. I appreciate you. I appreciate you sitting down with us. So thanks. All good. See. Thanks, dudes. <laughs> thanks for listening to another episode of Knowledge on Tick. Please like and share the podcast. Invite your friends and colleagues into the group and get in touch if there are any guest speakers you'd like to hear from or any topics you'd like covered. Take care and enjoy your week.